When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Good morning. So, not only are you paying to keep Enoch Burke in prison, but he's also receiving his teacher's salary. Despite being suspended from Wilson's Hospital School in County Westmeath 18 months ago, €72,000 is what he has been paid. Is that right? Or is it wrong? Have your say a little bit later. Also, the chair of RTE, or should I say former chair, warned she would resign if Catherine Martin failed to express confidence in her and the media minister insists she never imagined that question would come at her on prime time last week. Is that credible for the media minister of all disciplines not to have anticipated the question? Brian Clunan is here to do DIY and you meet the Junk Couture Champions from Moat, World Designer of the Year 2023. The award picked up in Monaco, no less, last week. Very nice indeed. If you want to see it, by the way, check out the Midlands 103 socials and you'll see the video from Moat yesterday. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number, you can text or WhatsApp. 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. What have we got on the front pages this morning? Enoch Burke, pictured on the front of the Irish Daily Star. Burke raking it in, it says. It's a hard Enoch life for us. So, it says, sacked trans route teacher Enoch Burke is still getting full pay despite being locked up in Mount Joy for almost 300 days. Moving to the Irish Times, RTE chair had threatened to quit, says Catherine Martin, the media minister, who was taking questions before the Oireachtas Committee on Media yesterday, and you'll hear more about those exchanges. She insists, by the way, the former Director-General D. Forbes did not receive an exit payment, a golden parachute on the way out of the organisation, or so she has been told. Well, she shouldn't have received it for many, many reasons, but not the least being that she had a fixed term as Director-General. She was coming to the end of her term. So there was no case, legal or otherwise, to pay her a settlement fee. So hopefully that did not happen. Irish Independent. Minister knew that RTE chair was ready to quit. It's the story that just keeps on giving and you can't get away from it. So let's actually try by going inside the papers and to see what may be of interest. For instance, we don't really have very many private schools here in the Midlands. Uh, Wilson's Hospital School, that's one that we mentioned for other reasons a moment ago. But generally speaking, we have public schools. We don't have uh, very many DESH schools either. These are in disadvantaged areas. But nevertheless, there's this piece in the Irish Times today that may concern parents. And it looks at reform of the Leaving Cert in subjects such as science, where having proper laboratory equipment having trained technicians in place. That is going to matter to the quality of education your child receives. And so university lecturers are worried there's going to be an unfair advantage given to pupils in private schools where the resources are just better. And while that has always been the case, perhaps to some degree, the gap is going to get wider, they say. Read more 
in the Irish Times today. The Committee on Assisted Dying is being told to hurry up that the people it is considering have no time to wait or to waste. Very cheerful subject at this hour of the morning, but it's an important one. So we don't have a legal euthanasia regime in this country. They have it in Switzerland, and you may have heard of Dignitas. And there are some Irish people who get on the plane and they fly over and they finish out their days in a controlled way. Maybe they've got a terminal disease. Maybe they're in pain because of cancer or whatever their motive is. They decide after a lot of consultation and a lot of toing and froing, they are given the option to, in, in most cases, they take a solution. It's a glass and into the glass goes the poison, in effect. Well, it's a very painless exit. You effectively fall asleep and become groggy. So for the last couple of months, an Oireachtas committee has been hearing from experts as to whether we should have the same sort of regime or maybe one that is slightly different, what the lessons are from the various countries that allow euthanasia. But yesterday, the chair of End of Life Ireland, so that's a group that's obviously making the case for this type of system, Gianni Lazar said there are hundreds of people living with terminal illnesses or enduring unbearable suffering all over Ireland and many of these people we know would like the choice to end their lives when it is right for them. And these are people who want the Oireachtas Committee members to think about timing as they prepare their report because they don't have much time left. Where do you stand on it? Is it something that you would support? Or could you not countenance a regime where somebody would willfully take the life of another? Because ultimately, a doctor has to prepare that solution, that poison that is given to somebody. Calling it a poison in itself is probably a contentious term. Update from the United States. Donald Trump has won the Republican primary in Michigan and, to no surprise, Joe Biden has taken the Democratic nomination from the state. But what is perhaps going to leave Joe Biden awake at night is the message sent to him by younger voters about Palestine. And there was a movement in Michigan where they called for non-committed votes to be registered if they were unhappy with how the president was dealing with foreign policy when it comes to Israel and Palestine. And in the end, 14% of votes returned by Democrats were uncommitted. So he is going to have to give that some thought. Whether he does a U-turn or not remains to be seen. Irish Independent, you see a picture of Joe Lyons from County Offaly, the golfer who was thrilled to win the Spanish Seniors Amateur Open at the weekend. And he got a lovely trophy for his trouble. And when he reached the Ryanair check-in desk, they said, uh-uh, you got to pay to bring that on board. He said sonnet, or words to that effect, and left it behind. And they said they'd throw it in the bin. But when he went online and protested, Ryanair saw sense. And yesterday he was reunited with his trophy. That picture in the Irish Independent today. It also has a headline... Measles outbreaks. Unvaccinated people face three-week stay-at-home after being in creche, school or hospital. 
This is the latest guidance from the Health Protection Surveillance Centre. Right. Can you see too many people following that advice? And it is just advice. To stay at home for three weeks, not going to happen. Let's be realistic on this. Anyway, have you heard of house hacking? It's the latest term and trend on TikTok. So if you are somebody who is of a certain age, you probably call it renting out a room. But if you're a millennial or Gen Z, the term is now house hacking, where when you take out your mortgage, you're already doing the sums and you reckon if I rent out a room or two, then I can earn up to €14,000 tax-free. Thank you very much. And the Irish Times introduces you to a chap in Dublin, Tom Attride, and he's 26 years of age, and he's now on his second property, having bought the first and leased out two rooms and has now moved on to another one. You know, we did this in the 1990s. We didn't call it house hacking, and in the noughties as well. And then, unfortunately, the crash happened and many people got stung in negative equity. But house hacking, that's the term now. Finally, if you read no other article from the newspapers today, I strongly recommend this one in the Irish Independent because you probably know somebody in your life who always has drama going on. Whenever they whirl into the room, they erupt in chaos and they just suck the oxygen out. There's always something with them. And, you know, drama's great if you're in the theatre and you're not actually participating in it, but when the actual performers are in your life and they're hurtling from one catastrophe to another, it's bloody exhausting. So, enter a chap who, yes, is peddling a new book and it's called Addicted to Drama. And his name is Dr. Scott Lyons. And he himself grew up in a traumatic household and then became a bit of a drama queen or a drama king or whatever term you want to use. And he realised when he was trained professionally as a psychologist that what he was doing was diverting his trauma from the past into drama in the future. And so he's trying to give some helpful advice to people who not alone suffer from the drama directly themselves, but are bystanders and are trying to manage it and to diffuse it. And he talks about stress and he says stress is something you can become addicted to. It's a pain reliever, for one. It's a bit like a runner's high. It's an energy boost. It's like sipping on that coffee first thing in the morning. Stress will give you energy. It's a sensation, too. You lose a connection to your body, so stress actually numbs you from pain. And he says, finally, stress is a social glue. No other experience can give you that sense of intimate connection with so many as stress and drama. It's a shared relational bonding, he says. So when you understand it, then you can diffuse it a little bit. It's a long article. It's in the Irish Independent. I do recommend it if there's somebody who's a bit of a drama, you know what, in your life. Oh, it's going to be contentious and always is whenever we talk about Enoch Burke. And already there are messages criticising 
the money that he's received, €72,000 from his employer, despite being suspended 18 months ago. But on the other side, there are listeners saying, well, take this message, Will, Enoch Burke has to be compensated in some way for being locked up. After all, RTE get their golden handshakes and they will not pay back one red cent or face prison. So don't be harping on about Enoch getting his wages when there is so much corruption in the country. And another listener says Enoch Burke is entitled to the money and more because when this concludes and he is released from prison, he will have to be compensated for the errors of judgment in how his case has been handled. Well, I'll bring you fully up to date on what happened in court yesterday when we heard that not only has he spent nearly 300 days in Mountjoy Prison, but he's been paid the whole time he was in there, and it doesn't look as if he will be getting out anytime soon. Here with the news and views that you can use. Midlands Today. Midlands 103. Should Enoch Burke be in prison and should he be paid a full teacher's salary while in there? Everybody seems to have an opinion on this, but it's the opinion of a High Court judge that there's no option but to keep him in Mount Joy. Our court's correspondent, Frank Rainey, was watching proceedings yesterday. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Will. What was the purpose of yesterday's hearing? Yesterday was yet another review of his detention. So it was the third review for his latest stint in Mountjoy Prison. As we all probably know by now, he spent over 100 days in Mountjoy Prison uh, for contempt, of course, for contempt of an order, an order that was put in place by another High Court judge um, refraining him from attending at Wilson's Hospital School. He repeatedly breached that order. He was sent to Mountjoy Prison for contempt. He spent 108 days uh, in Mountjoy Prison before his release, um, just before Christmas of 2022. This is his latest stint. Um, I think today marks the 173rd day uh, of this particular stint that he has been behind bars. So yesterday was yet another review. He's been given opportunities in the past, and we've spoken about them in your show, to purge his, attempt to, uh, his contempt, to basically tell the court and to give an undertaking that he will abide by that court order, that he will stay away from the school, and that he will then you know, when he is released, that he will st- that he will do that. He will stay away from Wilson's Hospital School. But as was the case with his previous reviews, um, he refused to give that commitment yesterday. So as you say, um, Mr. Justice Mark Sanfi um, felt that he was left with no option. And I should say um, both he and the school, um, represented yesterday by senior counsel Alex White, they're both of the view that um, they don't want Enoch Burke to spend another day in prison. But I suppose the reality is that unless he's willing to comply with that court order, they really don't have any other option. They're all left scratching their heads. And that's kind of where they left it yesterday. Well, Mr um, Burke feels he's doing this on principle, so he's unlikely to resile from that. Yeah, and I, I suppose they have tried um, other avenues to get him to comply. Um, there was a €700 Euro daily fine put in place, which you know stacked up very quickly, became very high bill very quickly. We heard none of that has been paid yet, so that hasn't had the desired effect either. You know, Sending him to Mountjoy Prison again was an absolute last resort, and they felt at the time, back in September, when he was sent to prison, that they were left with no option. And again, yesterday, when he refused, on many occasions, when the judge asked him if he was going to um, abide by the order. He refused to answer the question. He said about again delivering legal submissions on, you know, his arguments as to why he was he feels he was wronged by being dismissed from Wilson's Hospital School for 
as he put it, his religious beliefs. He's against transgen- transgenderism. But, you know, when he was making these, these submissions, as patient as the judge was, he was at pains to point out that wasn't the purpose of yesterday's hearing. It was simply to get an answer as to whether or not he was willing to abide by the court order. But, you know, in the absence of an answer to the affirmative or the negative, he simply dodged the question. The judge felt that, you know, he had no other option but to send him back to Mountjoy Prison. Now, I'm glad you mentioned the fines because another monetary aspect was raised yesterday. Enoch Burke initially was suspended by the school. Then there was a hearing in the Mullingar Park Hotel, quite a heated one, if people recall, Mm -hmm. and a decision was taken to dismiss him at that stage. But yet he's still being paid. Why? We we weren't given an, an explanation in court yesterday, but that was news to me that I would have assumed, like everybody else, that once he was dismissed from his role at Wilson's Hospital School, which was in January of 2023, so over a year now since he was let go, one would assume that he would no longer be paid um, for that job. Um, that's not the case, as we learned yesterday. Now, one thing that you have to consider, I suppose, and this is this is probably the reason that he's still being paid, whether you, you think it's right or wrong, is that he has still got an avenue of appeal open to him. He's gone through the courts. He has fought to have his, a job mm-hmm. or certain orders um, set aside. That hasn't worked for him. But he still has an internal avenue of appeal within the framework of, of the school. He can appeal the decision to dismiss him. And he has made moves to, I suppose, go down that avenue of appeal. That hasn't been heard yet. That has obviously been frustrated by the fact that he has been in prison for the last 173 mm-hmm. uh, days. But obviously he is entitled to due process. So until that appeal is heard, that may be why his employer continues to pay him. But a few people are of, well, I suppose they're curious. He is in a private school. So is this taxpayer money or is it private money? Or do we know? I don't know the answer to that question. As as I say, just the fact that he has been paid his full teaching salary, that was all that was mentioned in court yesterday. We weren't giving any reasons or any other detail in relation to that. We also heard about um, costs, you know, very hefty legal bills that he has collected along the way of all of his failed legal battles against the school. The school's lawyers are entitled to their costs in relation to that. So you can imagine how expensive that would be. Now, we heard yesterday that no costs had been paid by Enoch Burke in relation to those um, failed legal battles. But in fairness to Enoch, we also heard yesterday that the school hasn't made moves to, I suppose, call those costs in. So what happened yesterday before the court broke up with Enoch Burke being taken back to Mountjoy Prison was that the judge asked the school to look at alternatives um, to prison to basically see if there is another way that they can come up with that will keep everybody happy, that will keep Enoch out of prison and also keep him away from the school. They will obviously have to be agreeable to Enoch Burke. They will be passed over to him in a few weeks' time and the match will come back before the judge again on the 22nd of March and we'll see where we are then. And in the meantime, he remains incarcerated and that is at the expense of the taxpayers. So there's an economic mm. pressure. There are those who obviously feel it's not proportionate to his objection either, although he's not in there because of his objection to transgender policy. Yeah. He's in there because of his contempt of court and, and failure to purge that. When is this mm. likely to be heard again, Frank? So the lawyers for the school have been given a few weeks to just um, touch base with the school, see if there are any alternatives, as I say, that could hopefully bring this situation to some sort of an end. Um, They'll come back to Enoch Burke with those suggestions. He may have some of his own. 
Um, that will all happen in the background and it will come back for review again. This will be the fourth review of his detention on the 22nd of March. And you raised a very good point there, Will. You know, as Enoch Burke was making his legal submissions once again yesterday, arguing as to, you know, why he feels that he has been um, dismissed from his role at Wilson's Hospital School. The fact that he's in prison has nothing to do with that. Um, you know, it, is, it has its origins in that. But the reason he is in prison is simply because he won't give a commitment to abide by that court order that was put in place. And whether he likes it or not, you know, there are other mechanisms that he can pursue if he doesn't agree with a particular order, and he has exhausted many of those already. But as an Irish citizen, if you or I were to breach a court order, we would expect, um, you know, there to be consequences. And, and Enoch Burke doesn't seem to understand that. He feels very wronged. But as the judge pointed out yesterday, there are avenues of appeal open to him if he feels wronged. Yesterday wasn't that particular forum. Mm. But nevertheless, he and his supporters will argue that if the catalyst for this was incorrect in itself, then mm. this invalidates everything that flowed from it. The court obviously takes a different view. Frank? Yeah, well, just on that, uh, before we go, mm. the High Court judge, you may remember, found that his suspension from Wilson's Hospital School was lawful, and that's when the order was put in place refraining him from attending at the school. Frank, appreciate your time as ever. Thank you. Thanks, Will. Frank Graney is our court's correspondent. And the time now is almost 20 to 10. Midlands Today with the stories beyond the headlines. Midlands 103. Everybody seems to have an opinion on Enoch Burke and it's a different one to the last. For instance, Will, they crucified our Lord. What chance has Enoch Burke? It is a disgrace that a man like that is in prison. Whereas Hilda believes if Enoch Burke is getting paid, then he should pay for his stay in the joy himself. Graham says, hmm, Mr Burke teaches German and history. I wonder which period in that history is his favourite. Hmm. Another caller saying, Mr Burke is a gentleman and should be treated as such. While Fran in Mount Melick, last point on this for the moment, Mr Burke's pay should be suspended and transferred to covering the cost of the fines that he has incurred. Why is he still employed? Because he is entitled to appeal the decision to dismiss him, and that appeal has not been heard. Even though you could argue it is his incarceration and his refusal to purge his contempt of court that is frustrating and delaying that appeal. But he is nevertheless entitled to due process. What say you on this? It seems Shuan Nirahili, the former chair, warned she could resign before Minister for Media Catherine Martin appeared on primetime last week. That's just one of the revelations to come out of the minister's appearance before the Oireachtas Media Committee yesterday. Details after 10. Also, you meet the Junk Couture Champions. World Designer of the Year 2023 going to three proud students of Moat Community School. And it's a heck of a, a creation that they've put together. And a lot of comment too from parents who feel the school system is already very unequal. And if the reform of the Leaving Cert goes ahead where schools that have well-kitted-out laboratories and lab technicians, they're going to have an even bigger advantage when it comes to the science subjects. Anyway, more on that a little later. Are you prepared to get mucky 
for charity. The inaugural bog run at Lochborough Discovery Park in County Offaly takes place on March 24th and it's in aid of the Cancer Fund for Children. So you'll be taking on some seriously swampy conditions as you trek through bushes, defeat fallen trees and dive into the muddy bog. And it is open for anybody aged eight and upwards. Sinead O'Malley from the charity has been telling Midlands 103's Sinead Hubble about the work they do. Midlands Today with O'Brien's Hyundai Mullingar. Discover the 241 Hyundai range, including the Ionic 6 World Car of the Year 2023. So let's take two. And you heard there a moment ago, actually, the ad for the Cancer Fund for children and the big bog run coming up on the 24th of March and if you've even got an eight-year-old in the house rope them in as well. Sinead O'Malley tells Sinead Hubble what it's all about. Cancer Fund for Children are a non-profit organisation providing emotional, social and therapeutic support to children and young people diagnosed with cancer and their families and our mission is to help ensure that no child has to face cancer alone. So the services we provide include, we have these amazing cancer support specialists. They're located in hospitals and in the community to support the families um, at home. We have some youth engagement workers who help bring the young people together to build peer connections and they also guide our services. And we also offer therapeutic short breaks in Daisy Lodge in Newcastle in County Down. And we are now in the process of, um, we're at tender process at the minute for a second Daisy Lodge, which is located in Kong in County Mayo. The different supports that are offered, it's to kind of encapsulate what um, the family and the child themselves need. So... A lot of the time when there is a diagnosis made like that, um, the whole focus is on the diagnosis and with um, going to, you know, taking up a, a therapeutic short break in Daisy Lodge means that it's a place that um, exists to give these children and their families um, time together away from that diagnosis. And that's kind of the overwhelming feedback we receive from families is they kind of leave the diagnosis at the door and they get to reconnect as a family, uh, which is really important. It costs a lot of money to keep charities like this going. How much do you need every year to be able to offer these services for families? We're kind of growing every year, really. So obviously the costs are growing every year. Um, so it's estimated for our, say, our second Daisy Lodge in that's due to be built in Kong and County Mayo, that the running costs for that will be approximately a million euros a year just for the running costs. You're asking people to jump into some sort of swampy conditions, trek through bushes, yes. climb across <laughs> fallen trees, Basically, jump in the bog to help fundraise for yourselves. Can you tell us about the event you're running at Lockboard Discovery Park later this year? You're making it sound like it's a negative. It's going to be the best crack ever. It's going to be brilliant. Um, so we have been running the bog run uh, for nearly 10 years in County Down and it's been massively successful. Uh, so this is our first year and we are in Offaly and we are in Lochborough Discovery Park. They have been amazing. Julie there has been fantastic. 
And yeah, it is basically what it says on the tin. We are asking families. It's great. It's a family friendly run um, and it's going to help raise funds for vital services. But also it's just going to be a great day. So, um, yeah, there's two options. Uh, people can register for a five kilometer or a 10 kilometer. It's not a race. It's just a fun run or a walk, whatever, because there's going to be lots of obstacles. So you come along and yeah we're asking you to jump into very boggy conditions and um, we're encouraging people to sellotape their trainers to themselves so they don't get lost in the bog and it's um, just a great day of fun and it's suitable for ages of eight and up which is great because a lot of races or runs wouldn't be so um groups of family friends colleagues um anyone can come along join in and if you look on our website cancerfundforchildren.com you'll see some videos from previous years and it just looks like the best of fun. It just sounds it's a fantastic idea because it's something very unique and while we're surrounded by bogs here in the Midlands it's not something that we would think about doing is diving into the bog for the fun. And what's great is we just have unlimited rain, so it's going to make it even boggier. Um, it's great because it really kind of captures the energy and um, of a lot of kids doing the event as well. And that's what we're raising funds for is to help children impacted by cancer. Um, so there's, you know, you can run it um, from ages eight to 14 for the junior run and you run that with um, an adult. So one adult can run with two children. Um, it's very simple to sign up. You go to cancerfundforchildren.com and register with us. And then you'll be um, able to set up a page uh, at Eventmaster. And then you'll be able to use that link to fundraise. And you'll be able to send that link on WhatsApp, send it into your family chats, send it around your workplaces um, and raise funds. And it's a great day out. You advise people to sellotape their runners to their feet so they don't lose them. Have you any other tips then for people who want to take um, part? There's lots of tips. I mean, it's, you know, it, it is exactly, it's going to be really mucky. You're going to be kind of crawling, um, you know, through the bog and kind of weaving around the forest. And it's certainly not something now that you should um, be trying to get a personal best on. It's just about enjoying the day. We're going to have um, lots of music and great energy and um, some food vendors at the start and finish line, which is great. So even those people who don't want to actually take part in the run, they can come along and spectate um, and they can enjoy that. Uh, you come along, you register and you, we're going to have, it's not a shower, it's um, kind of a, a makeshift hosing down area. So another top tip we're telling people to you know, for the car journey home, bring some bin bags, wrap yourself up in them, bring some towels and um, just come along and embrace it, really. Well, Sinead, it sounds like a fantastic event for a great cause as well. So the best of luck with it. And for anybody who wants to find out more information about the event itself or about the charity, where can they find that information out? So if you have a look on our website, cancerfundforchildren.com, uh, you can send any questions or queries to myself. Uh, the email is bogrun at cancerfundforchildren.com. And I just want to say a big thank you, if that's OK. We have had some amazing sponsors. We have had Lumcloon Energy and Halston Environmental and Planning have um, just embraced the whole idea. They've been fantastic and we're just really grateful to them. And that was Sinead O'Malley.
The cancer is called cancer, or the charity rather, is called Cancer Fund for Children. And look it up in Lochborough on the 24th of March. All support will be gratefully appreciated. Now, in the next hour, the media minister appears before the media committee and admits... Shuani Rahalig had warned she could resign as RTE chair before the infamous primetime interview with the minister. Brian Clunan, equally infamous, shall be here to talk DIY as well. And after 11, we turn our attention to junk couture and a huge success for Moat Community School. World Designer of the Year. The award coming back from Monaco in the last week. Love the Midlands? Love. Good morning. That's still on the agenda today. Junk Couture. Brilliant success for the Midlands and great pride in Moat Community School, having picked up World Designer of the Year 2023. And if you haven't seen their creation, check out the video on the Midlands 103 socials. It's beautifully put together and well done to all concerned. Staying in school, plans to reform the Leaving Cert science subjects are a matter of concern for university lecturers because they fear there's going to be a social divide between the schools that are well-resourced and those which are not, which tend to be in more remote rural areas. Anyway, more on that a little bit later. Plus, Brian Clunan pops by for DIY in around 15 minutes. When you call... 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. The media minister, Catherine Martin, appeared before the Oireachtas Media Committee yesterday to answer various questions, but most dealt with the departure of the former RTE chair, Shuan Nirahalig, last week. And it was admitted by the minister that Miss Nirahlig had indicated she could resign before the minister made her appearance on primetime last Thursday evening. So let's hear from one member of that committee as to the questions he asked, the answers he received and how satisfied he is with the minister. Michal Carrigy is a Fine Gael senator based in Longford. Michal, good morning. So... Talk us through what were your main concerns yesterday. Well, I think, you know, it was a traumatic uh, week with regard to RTE, with the resignation of the, you know, the, the chairperson, Sunni Rahadi. And I think it was important for us as members that we met with the minister to get the, the timelines and the details <clears throat> of what had happened in the previous week. And, you know, information, you know, was put forward by the minister last night, which hadn't been in the public domain, particularly to, to the discussions with both herself, department officials and the former chair on the Thursday, the, 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 the day previous to the, the, the prime time um, programme and indeed her resignation the following morning, where the minister um, indicated that, uh, as you said, the former chair indicated that she would possibly resign and wasn't in a position to actually meet the minister on the following morning when the minister had indicated that she was going to send correspondence to her looking to meet with her immediately after um, finding out that um, on two occasions on the previous week on the Monday and the Wednesday that she hadn't been given 
you know, the proper um, information with regard to the exit packages when she had been asked by the minister. And uh, personally, my own view on that is I think any person that's appointed chair of any uh, government board uh, is there on behalf of, of the state, on behalf of of government. Uh, the minister is, is the line the minister for government. And if the minister wants to meet with the chair, there shouldn't be any reason at all where that wouldn't happen. And it, you know, I think in the circumstances, um, had Shuni Rally not resigned, I think there would have been a case for her being removed when she had refused uh, to meet the minister with regard to what had happened in the in the previous week. So I think that's, that was new information which came um, in the last. Can you clarify if the Director General, Kevin Backhurst, was also in those meetings where the Minister was misinformed? He was, because that was, um, I, I spoke on, on that myself, and particularly on the Wednesday, the second day that the Minister queried the exit packages after her being given correspondence by RT on the Tuesday. And yet again, the former chair indicated um, that it hadn't gone to the board. Kevin Barkhurst was in the room and that was said, and he didn't contradict uh, the, the chair in relation to that. And I think he has questions to, you know, to answer in relation to that. And I think that puts his position, you know, in, in a question, in a questionable position now that he didn't inform the minister because he would have known you know, that that's what the chair had said was incorrect. So how does that affect your confidence in him to do his job? Um, well, it's definitely making me question it. Um, as I said, the minister is there, in the, is the line minister on behalf of government and ultimately on behalf of the taxpayer. And if she asks a question, um, you know, of the people that are, you know, in charge of the organisation, she should get the correct answers. And the reason that this, this whole saga is going on for nearly 12 months is because we've gotten a drip feed of information. And I would have felt that, you know, that, that there might have been a change uh, within the organisation. There's been a number of roles have been, um, you know, new personnel have been brought into roles. But here we are a number of months on and we're hearing about people that were meant to have resigned and then suddenly we find out that they've got exit packages when we question the details of the exit packages and ultimately <laughs> the cost of them exit packages going to be borne by the taxpayer. We've been told there's confidentiality agreements there and we can't hear what they are. And then, you know, when, when the Rockdust Committee and, and the Minister are looking for information, we ask questions, we're still not getting the correct information. And, uh, you know, I can totally understand why uh, the Minister would have, you know, serious difficulty in, in having confidence in the Chair, having, having you know, given the wrong uh, information verbally, but I would question um, the Director General Kevin Barker why he did not contradict the chair while he was there in the room with the, with the minister, why he knew the correct information. Corporate governance is obviously very important. RTE also faces some structural change because it's, well, some would say technically insolvent, if not for the assistance of the state. So, how much of a distraction? is this episode, and indeed some of the others that have gone before it, from the fundamental reform that needs to take place? Well, there's no doubt about it. Significant reform needs to take take place. Um, you know, in RTE, the culture of the massive wages and all these agreements that have been, you know, um, done without being brought into the, you know, the, with the proper governance procedures 
I think you know it, it needs the end. Um, I think we know you know, and there's two two reports due to come before government in in relation to the you know the future funding of public service broadcasting. I think that that's important and core that we make sure that you know funding is is put in place to make sure not just at a national level but at a regional level and a local level at a regional radio station, or local radio station, community radio, or local regional newspapers. We need to support. Um, the, you know the, the trusted news outlets that we have throughout the country, but we need to support them financially. And you know, there's a big decisions now have to be made by government with regard to the future, the future uh, funding of the in, entire sector. You know, the confidence in people purchasing the license fee is is, is dramatically dropping. The significant holes have had to be in the fund and have had to be you know um, popped up um, by government and. If we have, you know, you know what, the, the drip feed of information continuing like this, the confidence in RTE as an organisation is going to be very hard to, to get back, you know, for people to continue paying that. So I, I think we need to be, personally, my own view is we need to be looking at uh, a model of, of exchequer funding for public service broadcasting, as I say, not just at a national level, but at a local level. Um, that was one well. of the recommendations from the Future of Media Commission, and it seems all other recommendations had been adopted, that particular one causing some concern in government, apparently. Um, I understand Fianna Fáil in particular pushing back against the minister trying to f- uh, fund uh, from central exchequer what had been previously funded by licence fee. I was listening to Ivan Yates on a podcast recently. He's a former minister and he's got obviously knowledge of broadcasting as well. And he was suggesting that perhaps RTE should be allowed to fail and from the ashes then would rise a new, smaller, fit-for-purpose organisation. Is there any political appetite to allow that to happen? I don't. I don't think so. I think it needs to be supported. Um, as an organisation, it, it, you know, it, it's had, it is a, you know, a trusted news outlet Um and I, but I do agree it's not fit for purpose. I think it's um, oversized, I suppose, in one way. We've over eighteen hundred staff in an organisation, you know, that's put, you know, that's putting on the program. So I, I need, I really think that needs to be uh, tightened. Um, and I'm always a firm believer in the same culture, thought to measure. You know, I think there's been a culture of significant high wage earners within the organisation. Of mm. I think, I think there's over one hundred and ten or fifteen managers within the organisation that are, that are in over a hundred. Each. But politically, um, so, uh, is there an appetite for hundreds of job losses? I, uh, you know, there's packages that can be put t- together. You know, and I, I just think I think it needs we need a slim down uh, version, you know, version of it, and um, we need to put exchequer funding in place to support it. You, you mentioned about the interference politically. We have commissioned a man which has recently set up, um, you know, uh, to you know to look after that whole. Um, Online and, and, and media space, you know that they could be there, to, you know, to manage the funding that's put in place. Um, but I do, I do need, we need, to, we need to slim, slim it down um, from from what it is, um, and put, as I say, exchequer funding in to fund the entire media sector at a local and a national level. And going forward, it's it's important um, that I feel public service broadcasting is. You know, it's important for democracy, so it's important to protect us. Well, look, obviously I'm conflicted in, in that respect, but I'm mindful as well. Board Namona is another semi-state. It went through a 
much accelerated transition when there was a high court judgment relating to peat extraction. Hundreds of jobs were lost. The terms probably weren't as generous as what RTE may be applying and the political support, while, while there was certainly some in this part of the country on the national stage, um, there wasn't an attempt really to prevent those hundreds of job losses. It happened and it was necessary for the financial survival of Bordnamona. Why should RTE be any different? Well, just on that, you must remember that just transition fund was put in place for the Midlands, you know, to, to make sure that new jobs were created um, for the ones that, that that were lost. And I think that's important. And there was, you know, significant funding from government and from the EU. Granted, but, make sure but it didn't replace that, jobs like for like, one for one. I, 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 we might differ on that. I think a significant number of jobs have been put in place and this significant further funding from that fund um, going to be, you know, um, spent in the Midlands. Um, we have a significant amount of funding going into tourism product, which is going to bring footfall into the region, is going to create more jobs. So um, I firmly believe that those jobs will be fully uh, repl- replaced um, in, in the Midlands. Um, just okay, so, so to that end, the equivalence would be that if RTE is to shed jobs, that others in perhaps independent producers will be funded or indeed in other media opportunities so that those people will have other places to land? Well, I believe the other opportunities, and I guess I, I, I'm very, very strong and I, I've, I've met a number of independent broadcasters, local media organisations throughout the country over the last number of months in my role covering media for, for, for Fine Gael. And I'm, I'm committed to making sure, you know, that we put funding in place, you know, to support, as you said, independent broadcasters, local community radio, um, whatever fund is put in place by government exchequer fund and whatever that, um, you know, total amount is, I, I, I wouldn't be in favour of a significant portion of going to RTE. Um, I think a significant percentage needs to go there to support, as you say, independent broadcasters, in the independent production companies, local and regional newspapers, local and regional radio stations throughout the country. So there will be opportunities uh, throughout the country for anyone that might be surplus to, you know, to, mm. to, 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 to things in RTE. So, um, so on, on a final point, with that in mind, there is going to be a very full intray for whomever takes over from Shuan Nirahali as the chair of the RTE board. And that person will probably require experience commercially uh, in change management, in rationalisation and cost cutting um, and in bringing people with them in that journey. When will that appointment be made and who signs off on it? Well, it'll be, the appointment will be made by government and my understanding that they hope there's something in place in in the next week, this is something we spoke about yesterday, that it's important that we get somebody very, very strong and experienced in exactly what you've just said, um, you know, to, you know, to, to I'd say build back up the, the trust in, in the organisation and get back onto a, you know, a level footing. And um, so I, I would, you know, I, I know, I know the list has been, is being drawn up at that present and let's say hopefully by the end of next week there'll be a new chair in place. Michal Carragy of the Aroctus Media Committee, Fine Gael Senator in Longford, thank you for your time. Good morning. Now still on the agenda today. And indeed up next, Brian Clunan on DIY. Junk Couture and the World Designer of the Year 
in studio from half past 11. And we catch up with Peter Dunn and his Couch to Marathon Challenge. And finally, after some very painful setbacks, he is back running. And now, with thanks to Bright Ideas Lighting, Talbot Avenue at Lone. Building or renovating? They work with you to create a bespoke lighting plan for your home. Brightideas.ie Oh, tis shocked in the Gilgan Friday, so here's a quick refresh. Before we get Mr. DIY in, in a shelva, in the flesh. Housework is up on tea. Do it yourself is Dene to fain. Augusta Blino Clunon is studio ahead. And will Tugama far fix it. Did you notice the shiver again? <laughs> Hearing my name in Irish. Uh, genuinely, I gave a little shiver there. It just brought me back to school. It's incredible. I don't think I've heard my name in Irish since I went to school. Oh, good grief. <laughs> wow. He is genuinely thrown oh, here. Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, good morning. That is the voice of Brian Clunan. Brino Clunan. Brino Clunan. Yeah. Clunan. <laughs> a lot of people are wondering... Where is all the water in moat? Apparently oh, there yeah. has been a burst main. And we're checking Irish water for updates. But they are telling us <coughs> at the moment work is scheduled to take place until 1pm. And then you should allow two to three hours after that for supply to be restored. So at some stage, mid-afternoon in moat, your water will return and I believe parts of Clara may be affected as well. Well, I knew this before I came in because uh, Mark that works in the shop mm. lives in moat. So let's just say he wasn't able to shower this morning so we're all standing upwind. <laughs> <laughs> he's fragrant. He's, uh, he's fragrant, yeah. We're all standing upwind of Mark. Um, uh, we strategically have him planted in a spot uh, doing something that keeps him away from us for the, for the day. Yeah, he's in the storeroom. <laughs> he's in the storeroom, yeah. Counting out uh, seed onions or whatever. We'll get something, we'll get something monotonous that, and time-consuming. Um, yeah. Our first question comes from a listener just returned from a week in Kerry with the in-laws. And we lit- Hopefully not the drug smuggling uh, in-laws. The crystal meth variety. The crystal meth ones, mm. yes. Anyway, we lit the stove last night and there is an awful smell of soot. We had the chimney cleaned only a couple of months ago, so can't understand what could be causing this smell, much less how to get rid of it. Yeah, so look, <clears throat> this, is, this is not an uncommon problem, and it's just simply that the chimney wasn't used. And there are two... Re- the, the only thing, you, you don't smell dry soot, really. Like, if you have it in your hands, you'll smell it. If You know, but you won't really go to the chimney and smell dry soot. Mm. Whereas wet mm. soot is very... It's a stink. It's a horrible smell. It's the wet dog principle. Yeah, correct. It's the very same. Exactly. So, what's happened here? Chimney wasn't used for a week. Um, probably not a chimney cowl on the top. And any of the rain that came in went down the chimney. And in a normal way... The chimney's lit, so it dries out. But it can also be caused, and this is a very regular pro- problem, by condensation. So, <clears throat> excuse me, if this is a, an open if it's a sto- an open fire, that's a different kettle of fish, it's more likely the rain coming in. If it's a range or a stove or something like that, then the problem will be that it's even worse in terms of condensation because it's, it's closed. So if ever you're going away, try and open up all the dampers, even just look at maybe propping the door open on the on the firebox, not fully open in case something you know wind would blow down soot, but you know prop it open an inch. Um, we had a we had a 
customer in a couple of weeks ago, a listener actually, sorry, tell that, we had a listener in a couple of weeks ago, uh, phoned in with this a while ago, and we mentioned the possibility of leaving the sut door open when it's not in use. So her sut door was outside, but she actually came into the shop the other day to say it made a huge difference. So when the chimney's not in use, she's able to reach the sut door without a problem on the outside, and she leaves the door of the range open and the sut door open. So there's air moving through, and she said it made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Now, how does this listener take care of it? You, you, well, if you want an instant fix, you burn the chimney cleaning log, uh, but you can also just burn hotspot or bluestone or comate on a regular basis. And uh, we're, we're always in this time of the year with people that come in once a fortnight and they buy a little tub of bluestone or a little tub of hotspot and they're always saying I can't believe the difference it makes and if I stop you if I run out and stop using it you can see the difference within a few days so it's amazing that burning the bluestone or burning the hotspot makes such a difference in drying out the chimney but you will definitely save yourself money if you just ventilate the chimney as much as you can so one of the big contributing factors now maybe it's the only thing you can do from a lifestyle point of view but damping down at night now, I know the huge advantage is you damp down at night, you come down in the morning, it's still, there's still live mm. embers there mm. and you just throw more, open it up and throw more fuel in. So there is an advantage to it, I get it, but there is a disadvantage. And if it's an ongoing issue with, if it's a major problem, we, we remember we had a customer in one time many years ago and he was an engineer in the army, he was, sorry, he, was, he worked in the army engineering corps. So... He had a build-up of, chim- of, of tar in his chimney. So the 8-inch flue. So, I mean, with an 8-inch flue, you might get a football down. You drop a rugby ball down. You know, the rugby ball would pass down through an 8-inch flue. Well, honestly, you wouldn't get a tennis ball down this flue. And when I say it's tar, it's like the tar in the road. So it's hard, 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 black tar. So it started out as condensation, and dried out and built up and hardened and dried up and built up and hardened and it just continued to grow and grow and grow whatever way you want to put it to, and um, he was adamant that with his expertise and obviously the manpower of the Army Engineering Corps that he would develop something that would remove it. Now he brought in a piece of flu liner with the tar in it where he had failed, given up and got the flue, the chimney flue replaced and then gave us this to work on to see what chemical would use it, would break it down. And I said, no problem, I will get something to break this down. In the same way as he said, I will get something that will physically remove it. We both failed oh dear. completely. So I tried, you know, hydrochloric acid, sulfuric acid, uh, all sorts of chemicals on it to break it down and nothing. It is incredibly, incredibly tough and resistant. So Why stop don't this we from happening. fill potholes with whatever that <laughs> is? <laughs> it's tar. It's literally pitch, black bitumen. You know, that's what they use to make. It's, it's added to gravel to make, but it has to be heated, you see. You can heat it if you heat it to a huge temperature. So if you decide I want to put, uh, as was done years ago, uh, pitch on my roof, tar on my roof, on my flat roof, well, then what happened was you got a big, big, what's known as a pitch burner and you bought a 25 kg drum. Now, when I say drum, sack, it was just a solid piece of bitumen. Mm. And it went into the burner and then there was a huge flame lit underneath and eventually, under huge temperature, 
the tar melts. And then it's, you've seen it in the back of the lorries where it pours out and it's added to the gravel and that becomes tarmac. That's what tarmac is. It's, it's tar added to the gravel that makes tarmac. Brian Clunan is here from Clunan's Hardware in Tullamore until 11. And you can send your question and pictures if you need to back it up on 083 30 10 103. WhatsApp powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. It's 25 to 11 already. It's time to look your best in suits, casual, formal and footwear for men and boys at Guy Clothing High Street Tullamore. The leading clothing destination for every man. Open Sundays from 12 to 6. Follow Guy Clothing Tullamore on social media. Midlands Today with Tullamore Motors Opal. Take charge with the Opal 241 Electric Range. Available to order today. Choose your model and set off on your zero emissions journey. TullamoreOpal.ie Hurry, hurry, hurry! The Hillary's Big Winter Sale is ending soon. Book your free in-home appointment today. And you can still save up to half price on hundreds of made-to-measure blinds, curtains and shutters. Plus get free thermal lining on our favourite curtains and Roman blinds. Don't forget, measuring and fitting is always included. So why risk getting it wrong at your windows? But be quick. Sale ends the 11th of March. Book your free in-home appointment today. Visit hillarys.ie. Hillary's Big Winter Sale for the window-wise. Conditions apply. Farm to Fuel, the biogas opportunity. A presentation and discussion on the production of biogas from food waste, grasses, etc. using anaerobic digestion technology will take place in the Collection Hotel Port Leash this Thursday, 29th of February at 10am. Biogas is a renewable fuel with the potential to decarbonize our agriculture, transport, heat and electricity sectors. This informative and collaborative event will feature an expert panel and will be of interest to farmers, biogas producers, energy users, the business community and the general public. Event hosted by Colin Markey, MEP. Feast on the best of Ireland with Dunn Stores. Enjoy board beer quality assured meat, like an unsmoked centre cut ham fillet. Now 20% off. With fresh vegetables like green cabbage, just 49 cent. Fresh fish caught daily on our shores, like organic Irish mussels. And local top quality cheeses, now three for two at Dunn Stores. Plus, you can save at the till with our 10 or 50 grocery voucher. Dunn Stores. Always better value. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used to next grocery shop of 50 euro or more. It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy's Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands. Eden Dairy Livestock Mart holds a calf sale on Friday with an intake from 9 and the sale starts at 11.30am. Collection service is available. All you need to do is call 086-198-2553 or check out Eden Dairy Livestock Mart on Facebook. Coralstown Kinigad GAA invite you to their next monster drive through bingo this Sunday, 3pm in Kinigad GAA grounds. Total prize money is €7,000 which has to be won on the day, including a jackpot of €2,000. The glamorous Buttons and Bows Fashion Sale in aid of Dochus Offaly Cancer Support takes place in Muckla Community Centre, Sunday 3rd of March, 12 until 5, with raffle tickets, spot prizes and a coffee shop on the day. Admission is only a fiver and you can learn more at Dochus Offaly Cancer Support Facebook page. The Farm Peat Project invites primary and secondary school students to get creative and join the Love Your Wellies competition, telling the story of Ireland's peat landscape through art. There are cash prizes for the winning entries 
and the competition is now open. Deadline, Friday, 26th of April, farmpeat.ie for details. Finally for now, a dinner dance in aid of Infinity Friends, the social club for children with autism, will be held Saturday the 9th of March, Shamrock Lodge Hotel, Athlone. Guest speaker will be Adam Harris, the chief executive of As I Am. Music is by The Big Deal. Drinks reception starts at 6.30 and you can get tickets from Cunningham's Chemist in Monksland, Athlone. The Community Diary is online at midlands103.com if you want to check the details again. And if I missed something that's happening in your area, call Marina and she'll give me a slap on 0818 300 103. The Community Diary, with thanks to Tormy Solicitors, experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormies.ie DIY Dilemmas, sorted with Mr Fixit. Thanks to Bright Ideas Lighting, Talbot Avenue Athlone. Building or renovating, we work with you to create a bespoke lighting plan for your home. Brightideas.ie Good morning, Will and Brian. Good morning, Martina. What is the best way of cleaning wooden blinds? Wooden blinds... Um, so you have to be a little bit careful what you use. You don't want to drench them because all wood, if it gets really wet, will warp. So um, I would always say the likes of Method of Spirits is really good. Um, it's a very, very good cleaner, but it evaporates away so quickly. So depending on the style, I mean, you could... I remember making up something years ago for Venetian blinds, which was three little fingers on a, you know, on a, it was actually, tell you what it was, it was three, I used three four inch, little, little four inch paint rollers, mm. little fluffy paint rollers, put three of those on a piece of wire, basically bent the wire in th- so that there was three spikes, like three fingers coming out from your hand and the three paint rollers were on it and you just pushed in and dr- dragged it along. So it did, it, it cleaned there was a whole house to be done and uh, it cleaned three instead of wiping one lat of the Venetian blind it did three lats of the Venetian blind so um, but really a rag and a bit of metal made spirits and just you'll fly along over it um, or else you, you, you know these industrial wipes wonder wipes and all there's a load of them there's so many wipes out there now but there's, diff- there's a whole different grade of them and the likes of the Wonder Wipes, and I'm using that as, that's what, the, a lot of them are called versions of that. And uh, they're very good because it's a bit like a baby wipe, but much more powerful. Not drenching wet, but wet enough to clean everything away. And uh, the beauty is that you can just go to a, you're, you're only using a fraction of the wipe to do each drag along. I was going to say each wipe, but each drag along. So you just move to a fresh piece every time, wrap it around your finger, wipe onto an exit wipe. So you'll, you'll be removing all the dirt, but you'll have a fresh, clean bit every single time. And a, a tub of wipes, you get 50 or 100 wipes for a good deal less than a tenner now. Avril has sent a picture of her chimney and it is in not a good condition, oh my suffice God. to say. A lot of tar flowing down and she says, the fire is lighting most of the time. It's a solid fuel cooker. So it's therefore not going to have that wet problem or shouldn't yeah. but so yet this salt is running I started out. to say and I don't know whether I got to finish it because you, you, I know you'll find this hard to believe sometimes I get distracted in my answers um. <laughs> you? Never Can I just finish her question though yes. if you don't mind I, I did see the picture but of G- course G- the listeners didn't Giving yes. her the courtesy of, of her question So 
it's now running down the inside of the doors. Oh, no. And the chimney has been cleaned, the camera has been put down and no sign of any visible damage, and there is a cowl on top as well. Yeah. Mystery. So, looking at the picture, I started to say earlier about the rain coming in and the second thing being condensation, which is much more likely to be the problem, and it's certainly the problem in this case. Mm. So... If your chimneys, when you, if a new chimney is being built in the morning, they put, uh, they put down these concrete pipes, and that's your chimney, and then all around it they put vermiculite, which is a kind of a sand, but it's an insulating sand, and the whole purpose of it is the insulating part. So it has to be not just builder sand; it has to be this insulating vermiculite, and. Sometimes you see where people would say, I've, I've, I've stuff coming out of the chimney. Every time I, I, I light a fire, there's a little pile of what looks like sand. And it's this vermiculite. There's a hole in the chimney and it's coming down into the fireplace. And you don't want to ignore that because if you don't have the vermiculite there, you end up with a load of condensation. So condensation is, is, is not what you want. Um, so is this a chimney? So it happens a lot sometimes if there's not, if there's not enough vermiculite there. And if the chimney, you know the way sometimes the chimney is in the wall, as in if you stand on the outside and look at your gable wall where your it's, chimney yeah, is, you don't see, mm. it's completely flat. And then sometimes there's a little square built out. and Which is, in her case, what's... Is it? Yeah. Okay. Well, that when the square is built out, it's harder to insulate it because you only have the vermiculite, you don't have any wall insulation. So the, the chimney is more exposed, it's colder, and warm air, which is smoke hitting cold air which is the surface of the chimney creates condensation so that that will be part of the problem here so as so much what you can, to do about it well in the short term burn keep burning your co-made hotspot bluestone burn or the, the chimney lob yeah but, but keep burning that on a regular basis and ventilate as much as possible to dry it out and just make sure your chimney cowl isn't too tightly fitted that there is plenty of air able to get in through the chimney cowl what's he laughing at Text about wooden blinds saying, you can get a thingy, my Bob, yes. in most cheaper stores such as Mr. Price that has three thingy, my Bobbies on it <laughs> with microfiber material for oh, dusting. Oh, great, yes. Or I always use a wet wipe followed by a piece of kitchen roll to dry off. Always dry off afterwards or apart from warping, dust will stick straight away. That's why the met, the, but that's brilliant, yeah. If, it, if you do it dry, if you're using it wet, methylated spirits is better than water because it evaporates away straight away. But if you need to dry, the microfiber is a great idea. That's a great idea. Not as I saw somebody do. <laughs> I don't know, somebody it's better do. than your devil's pitchfork. Well, I, there, was, there was somebody, <laughs> there was somebody in a, I have to be careful what I say, a, a, a commercial enterprise and they had to do loads of uh, cleaning over the Christmas but there was loads of blinds and there was two guys and what they had was they had a garden blowback and one of them would hold the blind tight and the other fellow would come up with a blowback and blow all the dust off the blinds wasn't bad but it blew dust everywhere else of course I really hope Breda Colgan the health and safety expert isn't <laughs> listening <laughs> she would not approve no I don't think there's many people who would approve of that no that is the voice 
of Brian Clunan from Clunan's Hardware in Tullamore. Pick his DIY brain between now and 11. Mr. Fix-It on Midlands 183 with Bright Ideas Lighting, Talbot Avenue Athlone. Official stockists of Laura Ashley Lighting and Mirrors. See our dedicated Laura Ashley Boutique in store. Brightideas.ie Coming up after 11, Stephen Miller of Leash Today got us thinking about nightclubs. News this week that Lily's Bar and Kitchen has closed down. Just got me thinking. Um, it means that the Ember nightclub and the late bar that was in Lily's is no longer there. And I can remember when there was three nightclubs in Port Leash. There was Coppers, there was Club 23 and there was Egan's, which later became Manhattan Mixer, Blue Door, Lily's, Ember in recent times. Now I think there's only one nightclub, which is Coppers. Obviously a couple of bars and, you know, the Square Bar, Jeremiah, Grant, Staples, all these places um, have late nights. But is there fewer places in Port Leash in terms of nightclubs now than there was, let's say, 10, 15 years ago? Just trying to figure that out because there was many people going out. The population of the town has increased, but there doesn't seem to be the same amount of late night spots to socialise in that. Uh, let me know where you do your socialising and going out uh, in Port Leash. And am I right in thinking that it's not as vibrant as it used to be? Certainly not nearly as many nightclubs, not just in Port Leash, no. right across the All Midlands. around the country. What nightclub do you go to now? <laughs> the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and earlier and earlier and earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And less and less activity in it yeah. as well. <laughs> that is more information than I needed, thanks. You did ask, you did ask. I should have known better. Oh, speaking of hardware, Brian Clunan is here from Clunan's Hardware until 11. And our next query. Or as my daughter used to call it, Clunan's Hard Work, when she was a little one. So apparently there's a brownish reddish stain on Liz's tarmac. She doesn't believe it's moss. It's been there for the tarmac, that is, for 20 years. And she has never encountered this stain before. And... She said there is moss starting as well, but this is different. Okay, so hopefully somebody hasn't used sulfur of iron because we get this every year where somebody is using sulfur of iron to kill the moss on the lawn and they decide, ah, shit, there's moss on the tarmac as well or there's moss on the, on the, on the, the patio as well. I'll use the sulfur of iron on that. So when sulfur of iron gets wet, on any surface except grass, it turns it rusty red. And it's almost impossible to remove. Almost. So, oh, you yeah. are holding out a little bit of hope. Well, not in tarmac. It's, it's, you, you use some of the lime descalers on the, on the concrete, but I've never actually tried it on the tarmac. So maybe if she sent us in a picture, we'd have a better idea of what it is. Back to the wooden blinds. Close the blinds upward. Hoover with the suitable attachment, close the blind downward, repeat, then use the wet wipe. Much easier. Brilliant. That makes sense. Take off as much as you can dry mm. and then use the, yeah, that makes more sense actually. Great. Column in Roscommon has sheds to the back of the house which were built in the 1980s using blocks and cement. They are plastered outside but not inside. One of the walls is letting water in. And I mean the wall is very wet on the inside, he says. What is the cure, or is there one? Well, if it's very wet on the inside, you're you're asking yourself, A, is water... He's saying it's letting water in. So if the whole wall is wet, to me that would be much more likely to indicate a condensation problem 
rather than moisture coming through the wall. So if it's moisture coming through the wall, we've spoken before about using a path and patio sealer on your concrete paving stones on your concrete patio to stop it letting water through and therefore getting algae and dirty and all that. The very same thing is available for upright surfaces and it's called water seal. So that means that a wall that has become porous with age, you put this clear sealer on, two coats, quick and very easy to do, the wall is no longer porous. But I would ask the question, is this more likely to be a problem with condensation? So if it's happening, you know, all the time, can you leave, is there doors you can leave open? Can you, is, there, is it are there windows and doors? If you leave the windows and doors open, does the problem disappear? Now you know what the problem is, it's condensation. And it sounds more like condensation to me. Jimmy is asking, how is the hip, Clunan? How's the hip? My hip is fine. My knee is banjax, but my hip is fine. Well, sorry, touch wood, my hip is fine. The only part of me that probably <laughs> is fine. <laughs> I wouldn't use the description fine to no, cover no, you at yeah, all. No, no, yeah, exactly, no. Will, I asked my 21-year-old why he doesn't go to nightclubs, and he said alcohol is just too expensive, plus it's too dangerous with the drug and knife culture in Ireland. Wow. Probably has a point there. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I was selling a, a torch to someone the other day, and um, torches, because of LEDs, we've spoken about this before. Like they're they're getting brighter and more powerful, and the brightness of a light bulb, the brightness of a torch is measured in lumens, and this little torch uh, is two thousand lumens. Like it's actually, in my view, potentially dangerous. You know, in the wrong hands. Mm, blinding. Exactly. But um, I know somebody who volunteers with the homeless at night time in Dublin. So once a week they go out and they go with on the streets, checking on the homeless, seeing can they help them, what can they do and so on. And I was saying, ah, do you know what? I'm going to give this little torch because it's a small little torch. I'm going to give it to this person for protection, not against the homeless. But because I was just thinking, if you're in darkness and somebody attacks you, I know you have pepper spray and these mm, sort of things, yeah. but this is just a torch. But if you shine it in someone's eyes for 30 seconds, for a, a second, mm. they can't see for a few minutes. So if you do remain darkness, dazzled and you, you make, make your escape. Correct. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a great idea. Of Interesting. My, of mine. Because I'm oh. full of, you know, bright ideas. Aha, who also happen to be sponsoring this slot. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, <laughs> that brings us, fortunately, to the end of the segment. <laughs> Sorry. If you want to talk to him, heaven knows why, you'll find him at Clunan's Hardware in Tullamore, where Mark remains very smelly today, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> and we'll chat to him next Wednesday, 20 past 10, here on Midlands 103. Love the Midlands? Love. Midlands 103. Good morning. Now, over the last few years, you've probably heard of Junk Couture, but just in case you haven't, it's a competition aimed at post-primary school students. And the aim is to design and to upcycle and to create sustainable fashion from recycled junk. And some of it is really high-end. So much so that the very proud students at Moat Community School are celebrating the Junk Couture World Designer of the Year Award. And you'll hear about their journey 
to Monaco in just a few minutes' time. Also, Peter Dunn, on his Couch to Marathon Challenge, has finally overcome the painful setbacks and is back on the road. And the gap between the schools that have resources and those which don't going to be exacerbated by reform of the Leaving Cert science subjects. So say university lecturers. What's that about? That's coming up in around 40 minutes' time. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number, you can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. But first I want to talk about nightclubs, and I know it's very strange on a Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday morning even to be even contemplating a nightclub. But once upon a time, go back to the year 2000, there were over 500 nightclubs in this country. Today, there are only around 80. And the list is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And in Portlaoise, this week came the announcement that Lily's is no more. And Stephen Miller has been covering the story on leashtoday.ie. Morning, Stephen. Morning, Will. We'll come on to the general decline of nightlife in a moment, but what in particular has happened at Lily's? So there's a, a long history to the premises Lily's, which is on the bottom of Main Street in Port Leach, right in the heart of the town centre and beside the new library, um, which was the old Shaw's building. So it's, you know, at the very epicentre of the traditional town, town centre in Port Leach. Um, it was for a long number of years, I, I, I think a couple of generations, it was owned by the Egan family and it was Egan's hostelry, um, very traditional stop-off point between Dublin, Cork, Limerick. Um, and that. In 2014, it was bought by the O'Loughlin family who owned O'Loughlin's Hotel a couple of doors up, up on Main Street. Um, I think it was bought at an all-subs auction at the time and they, they sort of took it over, they rebranded it slightly uh, and traded for a couple of years there and up the road in O'Loughlin's Hotel, which they also owned. In 2018, it was the O'Loughlin's put on a lease to the Nola clan group, which were a big pub and uh, restaurant hospitality group in the entire country. Yeah, that's Alan all over Clancy's organisation. Alan, Alan, Alan Clancy, yes, Alan Clancy's organisation. So he's, a, he's the business partner of Shane Lowry for the warehouse in Tullamore. He has interests in Mullingar and Athlone as well. Yeah, and in like you know Dublin, Cork, Galway, Limerick, Belfast. There are venues like I, I don't, I haven't seen the definitive list of venues that they have, but they are all over the country. Um, and they opened it as Lilies with Lee's footballer Kieran Lillis sort of as the proprietor of it. Now Dublin footballer Bernard Brogan has always said he had a, an involvement in it as well, and he was at the official opening in 2018. And it was very busy, sort of the, the food side of it, the bar side of it. There was a nightclub element of it in the early years, but of course. The official opening, I think it was October, November 2018, and probably 18 months later, COVID hit, and it was essentially closed, closed for near, you know, remember March 2020 until early 2022. Um, you know, it was a very difficult time for hospitality, and it, you know, it, it reopened and it traded for the past couple of years, but it was it, it didn't open over the last, past weekend, and it was confirmed that uh, that it has closed, and the O'Loughlin family have taken back the. The, the property, and I believe it's going to be put on the market again. Uh, so it's 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 a loss to the Southern Centre in Port Leash. Like there isn't there isn't you know there's a, a selection of pubs in that, but as you say, in, in terms of the night scene, the mm. later night scene, um, you know it's 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 gone. I, I can remember I'm I'm in my early forties, and I can remember a time when there was three nightclubs on the main street in Port Leash. You had 
O'Loughlin's Club 23 was the sort of the iconic nightclub at the back of O'Loughlin's Hotel. You had Egan's had a nightclub and then there was a time when Copper's Trader, not the Copper Face Jacks, the different Coppers traded in the top square in Port Leash or Market Square in Port Leash. Um, and the three of them would have been there at one particular time. Maybe, maybe not for that long a time, but definitely the three of them would have been there. And, and now you're down to one. Club 23 is, is long since closed. The the Lilies uh, has closed now, and uh, you're, you're left with coppers in, in the in the top square. There are a number of bars, but in terms of nightclubs, yeah, definitely that that, that figure that you referenced that the War Five Hundred and now under one hundred, definitely uh, replicated in Port Leash. You see, I'm a similar age to you, and our generation was probably spoiled when it came to choice for nightclubs. I grew up in Newbridge, so Swifts. Uh, down the bottom of the town underneath the keg. I can't remember the name of the nightclub, but there was one there. And then in more recent times, what is now Judge Roy Beans, in one of its previous guises, there was a nightclub upstairs. And then you had uh, quite a cluster all around there. Tullamore, I recall when I moved first to Midlands longer ago than I care to remember, uh, there was Number One, which is now a Boots Pharmacy. And, okay, the Bridge House is still very much there. But I think there are examples like this in towns where Mm -hmm. those buildings that were once nightclubs are either closed and derelict or have fallen into another purpose, like a pharmacy or a restaurant Mm -hmm. or or whatever. And what sort of response did you get? You put this on your Instagram and on your TikTok. What was the feedback to your question about whether the vibrancy of the night options has declined? Um, I suppose we put it up on our Instagram and TikTok sort of as a little bit of a short video piece. Um, I, I, I sort of sense that our audience on TikTok and that don't remember a time when there was uh, more nightclubs. What they know is what, what, what they have now. Um, but it's definitely, definitely uh, you know, a widespread observation that there aren't as many places and it's backed up by the stats. But like, there was also, I suppose, a little bit of reminiscing on even further uh, nightclubs and night offerings in Port Leach. Like, uh, there used to be a, a spice nightclub in the in the Collection Hotel, um, which was in a previous time it was known as the Wild Turkey. Like, that was another offering and it was a bit outside the town. Um, you know, but I suppose th- th- there are a number of vibrant enough pubs in the Port Leach town centre. Some of them open a little bit later than, you know, they're, they're not nightclub hours, let's say, but they are sort of late bars to a certain extent. They, they, they all have a different offering. Um, so I suppose the night scene has changed a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, one well-respected Port Leash publican operating in the centre of the town, he said to me one time, like, it's a very fickle trade, obviously, for the best part, but he says he can remember a nightclub um, custom moving up and down the town a couple of times mm. in his uh, in his time, like Egan's up to the top square, we came back down a couple of times. Um you know, it's it's a very fickle it's a very fickle um, business, and and now it's obviously not as vibrant as it once was. Obviously, there's more of a trend of people socialising at home and and you know house parties, and obviously during COVID there was uh, people did up sabines and things like that. So probably all eats away at it a little bit. Yeah, but at the same time, there's a huge policy discussion going on, and the prospect of nightclubs, the few that remain, being allowed to open until six in the morning. And whatever about the rights and wrongs of that policy, you'd have to wonder how many clubs would be interested yeah. Yeah. in the offering. Yeah. And how many would have the sort of resources to make it work. You know, like Portlaoise is a growing town and the population is growing, but still staffing a place till that time, you know, having security on a place until that time, 
all presents, you know, a new level of challenges. Mm. Um, I can so, see look, it perhaps happening yeah. in Athlone where there's a student cohort, exactly. Carlo, Dublin, obviously. Less so Portlaoise, Mullingar, mm. Tullamore. Tullamore. I don't see yeah. the demand. Um, yeah. But look, yeah. we may be proven completely wrong on that. There is a group called Give Us the Night and they're holding a series of public talks and they're coming up in the next few weeks, actually, about the state of the Irish night scene. They want to hear not mm. just from punters, but from people in the business. But funnily enough, they haven't proposed any meetings here in the Midlands. They're yeah. in Sligo and Waterford and Kerry and yeah. Galway and so on. So we're a little bit forgotten. focusing on uh, a lot of those places that, as you say, have third level scene. There um, you go. Yeah. With, with more fun. But another place I forgot to mention, obviously Midlands Park Hotel now used to be the Heritage, had the Nang for a while. So like a lot of these places would have overlapped um, they all didn't exist at the same time, but there would have been an overlapping of them at various stages. So, like, it's, you know, the more you think about it, the more it has um, contracted. And do you ever wonder what you could do if you had all the money that you dropped in those nightclubs once upon a time? <laughs> yeah, doesn't bear thinking about. There will be no mortgage in my household, that's for sure. <laughs> Stephen, thank you very much. No problem, Will. And you can follow Stephen Miller and indeed. Leash Today on social or at leashtoday.ie The name you trust with the news you need Midlands Today with Will Faulkner Midlands 103 Midlands 103's breakfast presenter Peter Dunn has challenged you and me and others to do a couch to marathon in just a short number of weeks and well it's coming to the business end of this challenge because he has been the one injured more than anybody else along the way, very frustrated with his calf muscle but some success in the last few days he is back running and on course to enter the Mullingar Half Marathon on St. Patrick's Day along with 1,500 other people Let's catch up on this week's edition of Get Active in association with HearMed on a previous episode of Get Active with Midlands 103, I asked marathon and ultra-marathon runner Shane Dunphy a question. Does it become an obsession? Particularly training for a marathon, it can be. He was spot on. Get Active with Midlands 103. Powered by HearMed Healthcare in the heart of Tullamore. Here when you need us. HearMed.ie This week I'd planned the usual on the exercise bike trying to build up my cardio while waiting for this calf muscle to heal. And that's what I did on Tuesday for 45 minutes. And on Wednesday, I paid a visit to Cahill Egan in Physio Central for a checkup. Cahill, I'm, I'm mad to run. <laughs> mad to run. And over the last kind of week or so, I've been coming a little bit impatient. And I'm thinking, I, I feel I can get back out. The plan this week is to do some, some walking and get up and going through the legs. I'd go at this stage of uh, not pushing too much. I've given you some more specific strength and exercises for the area that was injured. We're moving on to a bit of a walking plan. Nothing major. We'll get you out maybe cover a couple hours over twice over the next week. We'll follow up then. If that's all moving fairly well, we'll look at probably looking into a bit of walk run to start just to test things out a little bit. Lovely. Great. Thanks, Phil, Carl. I've never been happier for somebody to tell me I can walk. <laughs> I can go for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stick to the plan of 45 minutes on the exercise bike again on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, 
I get back on my feet. It's uh, just coming up on a two hour walk, just about to hit about 14 kilometers, but it just feels amazing to be out on the feet. Um, it's been all cycling for the last few weeks. I was so happy. I've never been so happy to be told, yeah, go on, you can go for a walk. Yeah, I can kind of notice it that I haven't been on the feet in a while. A couple of little aches in the legs, but I don't think it's anything major. Most importantly, the calf muscle feels good on the right leg. Oh, God, just feels great to be back out. Amazing. Never thought I'd say that. It feels great to go for a walk. But there you go. When you don't have it, you miss it. Let's catch up with Midlands 103's Claire O'Brien, who's doing the half marathon training with us to see how she's getting on. Hi, Peter. People might know I'm following the half marathon programme, even though I'm not going to be doing it with you in Mullingar. So with that in mind, today I did the longest run that I will do as part of my campaign. And I have to say, I really wasn't feeling it when I got up this morning. Didn't have a great week of running. Missed a couple of days this morning really did not want to be out there but I put on the bit of music that I usually put on to try and get me psyched up before I go out and it worked and reminded myself that the only person that I'm competing against is uh, the version of me that's sitting at home on the couch watching MasterChef Australia uh, and got out and actually had a really good run and I'm feeling great so that was this morning it was 100 minutes basically 80 minutes of running and 20 minutes of walking so in intervals of four minute run, one minute walk, feeling really good after it. Really happy to be active with Midlands 103. Absolutely mighty work, Claire. Fair play to you. Well done. Sunday was the day we were supposed to do our first race we signed up for. It was a 10 mile in Collinstown, but it was coming a little bit too soon for me. But I felt good after the long walk on Thursday. So I read the email again and there was an option to do the five mile race instead. I thought five mile about 8 kilometres. I walked 14 kilometres on Thursday. Surely I can walk 8 kilometres. Go on. Let's go for it. So we set off for the picturesque village of Collinstown on Sunday morning. Now I never ran in a race before so I didn't know what to expect, what to do. Uh, we registered in the Lock Lane Inn and collected our race numbers. We had to pin them to ourselves and I had to hop on the bus to the small townland of Glaxtown to the five mile point on the race. I looked around at all the different athletic clubs represented there from Mullingar Harriers, Afina, Trim, Longford, Moynalty, Carlstown, Kinnegad and little old me. And after we were given the go ahead, everybody shot off. Except me. Because I was going to walk the race. Somebody has to be last. So big apologies to uh, the likes of the Civil Defence and the Order of Malta who are waiting to go home. I may be a while. I'm at the mile six marker, which for me is mile one. Another four to go. <laughs> but you know, it was great to meet people along the way. Hi John, how are you getting on? Oh, well. well done. Nearly there. And the support was lovely too. How are you doing? How are you feeling it? The volunteers, the guardie. Some people come out to the roadside yeah. from their houses with refreshments for the runners, with water, fruit and loads no, more. It was absolutely beautiful. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thank you. Now, I must confess, even though I wasn't supposed to, I broke into a very light jog at times because I felt good. So I'd jog a little bit, I'd walk a little bit, I'd jog a little bit, I'd walk a little bit, and I managed to finish five miles in one hour, two minutes. But when I got to the finish line, I got the biggest surprise. Hey! Oh, thank you, guys. That's a lovely surprise. 
Thank you so much. It was absolutely wonderful. The feeling of crossing the line and my kids waiting there for me was absolutely beautiful. And having my first medal for running placed around my neck by my little girl. Oh, thank you, sweetheart. It was just, it was a brilliant moment. Absolutely brilliant. I kind of was because I didn't want to hurt my leg again <laughs> because when you run down the hill you run very fast Christopher finished a 10 mile run hello Chrissy and after we got tea sandwiches and cake in the community hall we decided to dissect the race first race done and dusted it was uh, it was a great experience now that's probably your 400 race or so but for me that was my first how did you find it today after the you did the 10 mile uh, it's, it's great to be back actually I haven't done I haven't been in a race setting in a, in a good while and it was great great to get the buzz back you had a bit of a knock there during the week how are you feeling now yeah it's good so I, I had a bit of tight calf and tight joints in my ankle and stuff like that but I was at core physio there in Mullingar and Carl there sorted me out and he gave me the go ahead to do the 10 today so I said right sure I'll go and see it got a little bit tingy about 10k in but I just walked a little bit and just let it rest a little bit or whatever and yeah, it's not too bad. I feel like I could go again. Well, I could do a little recovery run now tomorrow or whatever. So, For something as straightforward as running, the bloody injuries that come with it is unreal, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It was like my first half marathon. And for the reason being, I got pains today in places that I, I don't get in training or whatever. And it's like, the body's just like, ah, oh, not this again. But yeah, it's, it's a funny old thing, yeah. Do you know what I loved about today? was that kind of community feeling. You're meeting people. I've spoken to people I've never spoken to in my life today. I was speaking to a woman who had surgery three weeks ago. She's 60 years of age, and she's back out in the road running. You know, the characters you meet, the people you meet, brilliant. Everybody has their own story when it comes to a race, like, and it's just it's that lovely community feeling. Well, that's it. It's our first race. Our next one is in three weeks. Yeah, Mullingar half, so, yeah, we'll be primed and ready to go. Hopefully. Hopefully we'll be primed and ready to go. Fingers crossed. Yeah. We're trying our best to raise as much as we can for Barristown Children's Charity. They do incredible work for boys and girls all across the Midlands and around the country. And we, the Midlands, want to show our appreciation. So if you can donate, it would make a huge difference in the lives of children and families who are coping with serious illness. You can click on midlands103.com right now. You'll find Get Active. It'll be the first thing you see. Click on Get Active. That'll take you straight to our I Donate page. And if you donate 10 euro or more, you're automatically entered into a competition to win a signed Manchester United jersey straight from Old Trafford. Get Active with Midlands 183. Powered by HearMed Healthcare in the heart of Tullamore. Here when you need us. HearMed.ie Coming up on half past 11... Junk Couture and a group from Moat Community School who've just had outstanding success. We've had great entries from the Midlands before and not to diminish any one of them, but this is the first time we've brought home the World Designer of the Year Award. Let's meet the successful team next. The Midlands' most listened to radio show, Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103 Junk Couture is something you've probably heard of, and just in case you haven't, it is a competition for secondary school students to design and upcycle and create high-end sustainable fashion 
from recycled junk. And here in the Midlands, we've had some success before, but nothing quite to this level. We have to introduce to you the World Designer of the Year Award winners, the students of Moat Community School. Good morning, guys. Hello. <laughs> and we should give some credit, I suppose, to your teacher, Pamela Kyo, as well. Hello. Good morning. Take us back to the beginning. So you're given the challenge and you thrash about ideas. What does that conversation sound like? What were you considering? Well, first of all, we got put in our groups, um, which we're actually really lucky because we um, we were all just put into, we didn't get to choose our groups, so we were all just put into random groups, which actually made a really good friendship between all of us <laughs> <laughs> that probably wouldn't have come about without Junkashore. And I should introduce you all individually, by the way, because we've got Eva Donlan, Evie Nugent and Maeve O'Shea, and you're all in fifth year. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you bonded and realised you had a bit of chemistry for ideas. Yes. What ideas did you consider? So uh, when we started off making our design, we started making trousers instead of a skirt. Um, we quickly realised this wasn't going to work as, you know, plastic, it wouldn't move for us. So we had to make a skirt, which <laughs> turned out well in the end. Yeah. yeah. So that will give you a bit more flexibility as well. Yeah. And what materials have you used? Um, we use plastic testers from a company in Athlone called Delta Q. They're testers for plastic and they come in a wide variety of colours. Um, I'm seeing red, various shades of green, yeah. shades of blue, purple, white obviously as well. Yeah. <laughs> How many colours altogether have we got? Oh, yeah, there's a lot. A lot of colours, yeah. So that was kind of like, like one of the main things that we wanted to incorporate was all the colour. But as well as that, we had to try figure out how to manipulate the material and how, see, like Maeve was saying, how it would move and how we could shape it and making the headpiece, we had to, you know, try to figure out how we'd go about that. And there's a lot of trial and error and, you know, just try to figure out what worked for us and the material. Well, you weren't completely figuring it out on your own. Pamela, what was your role as their teacher in all of this? Um, well, I suppose with this group or with any of the groups, I tried to get them to investigate the material and um, see what we can do with it, what... what manipulation do we have to do with that mm. material um, to make it into something and uh, the girls would have tried lots of different things sometimes we use heat in this case um, we left the shape as it was and they had to try and put them together and I don't let the students use glue guns if at all possible so drilling was something that they got very good at because they had to drill all of those times <laughs> Masters yeah. How many hours went into this? A lot. Yes, a lot. <laughs> a lot of time. I'd say the teachers were sitting here with Andrew, yeah. <laughs> of course, because you have to juggle this with all the other schoolwork, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose we're lucky we were in TY, TY, so I suppose there was a lot of flexibility with getting out of class, but um, a lot of Yeah, but TY were... isn't a dossier now, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, not for us anyways, we're a drunk chore. <laughs> we were definitely working hard, but um, a lot of notes written, and, and then after school hours coming up to the photo shoot, we did a lot of work till six o'clock and stuff and Miss Kyo stayed back with all the groups and there was a lot of work involved. How many groups within the school? Um, this year I think we had seven dresses yeah. but last it year varies. Last year we had a good few. I think we had 10 or 12 oh, dresses. Yeah. Yeah. So how much competition between all the different groups? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, all the dresses are so different. It's really hard to compare them because, you know, 
last year we had um, Sean Murray Gaffey made his out of tea light candles and that was very good. And then there was another group for, um, it was dog bags, um, like their food bags. So mm. that was another, they crocheted that. So they all just look so different and it's very hard to compare. Okay, so no competition as such or any competition was all <laughs> friendly. The actual competition, though, Junkature. Pamela, how does that work? Um, well, Junkature has been going now 13 years, so and we in Moat have been involved all of that time. So um, the students just really have to come up with an idea, put the dress together, mm. and then they have to be able to perform. And they have to write a little bit about the dress and you know where the idea came from and maybe what it stands for, I suppose, as well. So then they we... Recently, we've got a photographer in to take our photographs. Um, that's Ken Byrne, who's a past pupil at the school. And he'll come in and he does an amazing job of, with taking those photographs. So we send them off and then we wait for the big news to see who's got to the regional. Um, and that's very exciting yeah. and sometimes very sad for some of the students who've put so much work in and they haven't got anywhere. And then after that, we go to the regionals. And then from that, they go, hopefully, some of them go to the final. And the final then in the last two years has meant that 10 dresses from Ireland have gone to... Last year we were lucky enough to go to Abu Dhabi and then this year we went to Monaco. Wow. So, as you mentioned, a lot of ingredients go into this. The photography, how it's presented, the actual concepts, materials, the craftsmanship, the message. So what is Tag Me about? Well, Tag Me is... uh we it's well it's obviously about sustainability mm. that's a lot of Junkature's message it's all recycled and reused plastic and we were really inspired by Mazzoni they're uh, very famous fashion designers and so we incorporated a lot of colours and just patterns as well into our designs um, which just resulted in the, the outcome of our very colourful dress <laughs> So you get through the regionals, you know you're going to Monaco, you go over and I suppose everybody secretly wants to win. But what <laughs> were your expectations? We were just so happy to be there, I think. We didn't expect to come out where we did, on top. <laughs> um, so we just really went in with like no like high expectations. We were just so happy to be there in general. But then when we won, it was just Just describe disbelief. that moment. I can't even describe it. I can't remember. It was so like it was, we were just in the air yeah. jumping. Like if you should see the video of our reactions, all I can remember is just before like being announced, like when they're saying the Dublin City winner of the year is. I just remember me. Poor and Maeve was actually shaking. Like she was like. I can uh, just remember me and Evie were just blessing ourselves, saying our Hail Marys in the city. So. What about your teacher? I think she was just as overwhelmed as we were. <laughs> yeah. or, or were you very composed? Well, I don't know. I was sitting on the other side of the... <laughs> I think I saw tears. The hall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose I was very shocked, you know. Yeah. Um, Ireland had won this the year before, so yeah. I didn't think we'd win again. Yeah. But shocked in the best way possible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the reaction from home since you won, what's that been oh, like? Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, it actually, yeah, it has been unbelievable. Kind of didn't hit us, I don't think, until like yesterday. It didn't hit me until yeah. yesterday. Like I actually started crying yesterday <laughs> from the shock. Of it. Yeah. Yesterday was a very special day. We we came back to school and every student lined up in the halls and walking 
into the right school into and the gym, yeah. right all the way into nice the gym honor. yeah yes. oh, it was lovely yeah and then there is that presentation and a very long video of like <laughs> our journey and everything and it was just lovely it was really nice now mm. yeah everyone came together and of course you've been on rte now on Midlands 103, which you know tops the list, uh, all over TikTok and social. So, yeah. like, how are the other students taking to all of this? Are you celebs in the school? Yeah, we're getting an extra few smiles this week. I think. Yeah. yeah. I presume you didn't get as much homework either. You, know, oh, you didn't no, have to catch done. up. There's fifth years where you have to do a lot of study. Yeah. 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 No, now we'll have to go back to it next week, I think. Yeah, <laughs> we're still on a bit of a high now. We're just, we still can't believe it. I think it's just, it is mad just to even that we're here talking about yeah. it. It's just crazy. Yeah, but you're great role models for all the students who come afterwards as well. And you prove it can be done. And uh, Pamela, I presume, big pay rise for you. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Well, it's been fabulous meeting you and anybody who wants to see the dress, the video is on the Midlands 103 socials and I'm sure you've come across it already, but it's fabulous and well worth checking out. So to the students now of fifth year of Moat Community School, Eva Donlan, Evie Nugent, Maeve O'Shea and teacher Pamela Keogh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. It's coming up on 20 to 12. Here with the news and views that you can use. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103. Wow, lots of messages from the town of Moat praising the girls of Moat Community School on winning the World Designer of the Year at the Junk Couture competition in Monaco. Wonderful will for this little town to be placed on the map like that says a caller. Staying in secondary school just for the last part of the programme, the Leaving Cert science subjects are to be reformed as part of a wider reform of many Leaving Cert subjects. However, a report by the Irish University Association is concerned that an unfair advantage will be given to students in fee-paying schools because those students will have better access to laboratory equipment and technicians, as opposed to even mainstream schools, but particularly those who would be in disadvantaged areas, the DESH schools, as they are known. So let's find out a little bit about the sort of reform that is being considered. John Irwin is the General Secretary of the Association of Community and Comprehensive Schools. John, good morning. Good morning, Will. Can I first of all add my congratulations to Moat Community School on their wonderful achievement. It's fantastic to all of those, to Tom and all the team in Moat. Sincere congratulations from all of us in ACCS as well. Here, here. Fantastic. It raises the bar and is proof as well that it can be done. So hopefully it serves as inspiration it for can, schools. It can. It can. And I would say Moat Community School did a great history of promoting the arts a number of years ago, they won the All-Ireland School Choir Competition as well. Fantastic achievement again for them. So congrats to the standards that they set. Are you pitching for a job? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Tom will take me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, jest aside, tell us about the sort of reform of science that's being considered. Yeah, as was announced there recently when we were looking at the reform of the Leaving Cert, 
all subject areas are going to have at least a second and maybe third component which will be assessed so that they're moving into a more balanced type of assessment process where you will have what's known as the terminal or the end exam which will now account for a maximum 60% and at least 40% will go on second components. Now I would have to say in terms of ACCS we fully support that move that it is a, a fairer and a more equitable system of assessment where you get an opportunity to access a broader range of skills from amongst the students as opposed to just recall, I suppose, and, and written skills. Although even on so, that point about weighting the assessment at 40% of the marks, the Irish University Association has an issue there as well. They feel mm-hmm. that it makes no sense to give such a high mark to projects that take 20 hours, given that the mm-hmm. recommended uh, number of hours for the course in its entirety is 180. So 20 yes. versus 180, 20 isn't 40% of that. Ah, yeah, but like while you're talking about that the project takes 20 hours in terms of the completion of the project, the actual input in terms of the teaching and learning aspect of it would be considerably more than 20 hours. So, you know, you're, t- you're talking about assessing the final skills that are being developed right across the course as opposed to just a particular 20-hour module. Uh, in itself, so that you'd be drawing in a lot of different learning into the actual uh, uh, project itself, as opposed to just the twenty hours. Will like I would say, I would say you're you're broadening out. Uh, the leaving cert has often been criticised as being purely an academic test, and purely uh, it's based on the idea of recall and the ability to be able to remember and recall facts while in this particular case they're actually broadening that out into uh, assessing a variety of skills. So, Analytical skills and laboratory skills and everything else, which is, uh, I think it's a very positive, uh, I think it's a very positive move forward. To the particular concern around the science subjects, so the report is coming at this from the point of view of training student teachers and they feel it's impossible for the universities involved in that initial teacher education to adequately prepare their student teachers for those subjects of physics, chemistry and biology when the draft specifications lack detail. Um, They talk, for instance, about you would normally have published student syllabi, so there would be Mm some exam papers, teacher guidelines, things of that nature. So is that going to come eventually? Is it just held up or is it going to be fluid year to year? I know what will, what will happen here. Obviously, the whole examination process is run by the State Examinations Commission, and they take on board the assessments and look at how this particular aspect will be examined in a practical sense. So, and the State Examinations Commission are very cognizant that the process must be accessible and fair to all students so that everybody has an equal opportunity to achieve. In terms of the training, well, yes, it, 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 it would be, it'd be great if there was a, a, may be a longer lead in time. But the reality is that any changes like this that occur will be uh, supported by CPD through the, well, through the new, it used to be the PDFT, which is now IDJA, which is the Professional Support Service for Teachers. And every time there's a change... Just in case people are getting out, lost in acronyms. CPD is Continuous yeah. Professional Development. Oh, sorry, Continuous Professional Development for the teachers. Like, 
initial teacher education forms a really important part of what we do and we have very very good graduates coming for our colleges and I would not downgrade like they're valued all over the world now hence we have teachers teaching in every corner of the world but there's also a requirement for continuous professional development to make sure that such initiatives as we're looking at here can also be incorporated into the system so like a, a teacher's a teacher's professional development doesn't stop the minute they come out of their initial teacher education there is an element of continuous professional development which is vital for every education system and that will be supported through IJA but the State Examinations Commission will also be in examining the practicalities of how this will operate due to fairness probably involved. And then on one final point, and it's to that difference in resources between the private mm-hmm. fee-paying schools and everybody else. And okay, it could be argued that such a chasm has already existed and mm-hmm. the case I think these university uh, lecturers are making in their report is that it's only going to be exacerbated by greater emphasis being placed on that practical assessment. Look, I, I, I would say to you that, you know, if we take that approach, we will never develop anything and we will never look to try and examine uh, additional components, which happens in other subject areas already. And I would say it's far better to go ahead and to look at this particular aspect as an opportunity to ensure that students have the broadest range of opportunities to display their skills and talents in their particular subject area. I would also say to you that schools are, look, no school will tell you that they're over-resourced, but schools are well supported by the department in many aspects. And the state exam commission, when they're assessing how elements of the exams are to be assessed, they will be very cognizant that it has to be a fair exam for all participants, that all participants will be able to access what is required to meet the requirements of the exam. So, Yes, obviously we do know in a system where you have fee-paying schools, there will be schools that will have access to greater finance, but in terms of access to the exams and what's required for the exams, there will be equity for all students. Interesting text from Jack, who is a retired teacher, and he says it actually applies at both ends of the spectrum. Yes, the fee-paying schools have additional resources, but historically what used to be known as the techs, they would have had superior equipment, woodwork rooms, metalwork rooms and science labs to the other schools. So therefore the DESH end of the spectrum perhaps um, in, in some ways competes just as well with the private schools. It's those in the middle who may feel the disadvantage. Uh, I think all schools will be well capable of meeting the requirements of this particular element of it. Students already have a requirement to complete these experiments in school. It's just that there has been no way of assessing that particular practice at the moment. We all know that all science subjects have the theoretical and the practical element and the experimentation that they have to complete. And so far, how that's been examined is purely on a paper basis on a final exam. This is affording the opportunity for the skills to be assessed in the actual laboratory itself. Finally, John, uh, there isn't an offer of a job for you at Moat Community School, but would you be interested (laughs) in wearing the outfit? Oh, well, look, listen, I will tell you, I, we're very proud of Moat and what they've achieved. And congratulations to all of them involved in Moat Community School. The outfit was spectacular. And not only was it a spectacular outfit, but their tagline was superb. So I think the whole creative process involved there. Like this is their second time at the World Finals. 
and like you know they performed extremely well again with the last year the year before to win it this year fantastic congratulations yeah. to them John take care thank you for taking our call this morning John Irwin is the General Secretary of the Association of Community and Comprehensive Schools bringing the programme to a close and it was produced by Sinead of the Hubbles I'm Will of the Falkers and I'll chat to you tomorrow morning from 9 bye bye Midlands Today with Bus Erin use your TFI Young Adult or Students Leap Card on board Bus Erin services as part of the Transport for Ireland's network visit buserin.ie today